Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Foss at GatorCountry.com. Before we get into part two of our roster preview show, Eric, uh, the NBA came back, which I know probably helps you feel even closer to, to college basketball season now. Um, kind of, you know, how's it been going, man? Are you did you watch any of the any of the NBA in the last couple of days? Oh yeah, I've uh, I've watched the time. Um, the, the process is pretty much PVR, whatever the big national games are PVR or sorry, sorry, this is PVR for Canadians, DVR for Americans. I know that every time I say that it's people are looking. so anyways, DVR, the national games, DVR, a couple of my league pass teams. And then of course also record the Braves games, the, my adopted team since the, uh, since the Blue Jays are uh, were so cruelly, not cruelly, they had choked too many games away early in the season before their management decided to invest in a bullpen. But you know, so the Braves are my adopted team. So good luck to them tonight. But um, so you know, it's 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 record all the games and then and then kind of rifle through. So I would say I've been averaging about three or four games a night. Obviously, not watching wow, them like awesome. all with commercials, but just just rolling through them. Luckily, my wife loves basketball. But you know what I've really been <laughs> up to, Neil, that I wanted to let you and the the listeners know is that I have succumbed to a bit of peer pressure. And that is uh, when it comes to an article that I wrote around this time last season was, uh, you know, I did something where I tried to predict the stats of Tyree Appleby and Anthony Deruji. And it ended up going quite well. And, and the results were, were, you know, quite accurate. You know, I, I've, I've gloated about that enough. But the thing was, it was a ton of work to do that. Like I'm talking like, like, perhaps the most I've ever done for the most work I've ever done for one article. And of course, with double the amount of incoming transfers this year, I was, I just knew I'm like, this is going to be like three hard days of work. Um, so I was like, you know what? Maybe people will forget that I did that for Tyree Appleby and Anthony Drugy. Maybe they will forget that article existed and not expect that again for all the transfers that everyone is so excited about. But that was not the case, Neil. Fortunately, there were several people who were like, hey, Eric, when are you writing that article about uh, predictions on the, the stats of the new transfers? And I was like, oh, maybe that's just, you know, one or two people. Maybe everyone else forgot and isn't expecting it. But um, I've succumbed to the pressure of people that want the predictions for the stats of the transfers. So that will be coming probably, I'll say, end of next week, maybe the week after that, which would be like, you know, right before the season starts. But um, yes. What I'm saying is it's a lot of work, so I hope you enjoy it. No, it's, uh, it, it is it's super fun. The fact that it went, was so accurate last year, um, it does make me be like, oh, I wonder, like, let's see how accurate we can do this this next time. But I will tell you, Neil, in addition to, you know, watching NBA basketball, um, I have been working on the predicting stats for for transfers. But uh, that's what's going on in my life. What about uh, what about for you? Love it, man. Um, yeah, no, when you said PBR, like, I didn't know that. So I was like <laughs> – I was like, oh, that's, I was like, you know, that's a great American hipster beer. Like, I'm not surprised mm. that, that Eric, Fox, like the original hipster beer before the microbrew craze was like PBR. But now, oh, yeah. you know, it's kind of, PBR is kind of like hipster Budweiser. And like, you have to have your like normal, like whatever your local brewery is. But I was like, ah, I love it. Uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all that, that Eric Foss, it's like, let me go get some PBR watch a little NBA, but, uh, no, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and I do look forward to that, uh, that article very much as for me. Um, I don't even know if I told listeners. So like I, um, I, I picked up and moved to Charlotte uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, so really the beginning of October 
Uh, so I'm settling in here in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, and, you know, Eric, as soon as I move here, the Hornets start 2-0 for the first time in 15 years. So, um, you know, Michael Jordan, obviously, building that winner. He has long promised. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, you're in you're in college basketball hotbed too, so I'm very excited for you, Neil. I just again, I I imagine you with a massive map the size that takes up an entire wall, and I see you know pins and and string from location to location because <laughs> I know that uh, yeah, I mean the amount of uh, college basketball teams in your vicinity is is incredible. So I look forward to you slowly but surely making your way to to all of those, and uh, um, hopefully the Gators maybe get to uh, play you know somewhere around there at, at some point. But uh, yeah basketball is is here with the nba and it'll be uh right here before we know it for college it will and we're going to continue our roster preview today we have about half the roster to go we're going to start with uh florida's well you know was their lone freshman for a long long time and then elijah kennedy was brought in um but uh florida signed high four-star player kawesi reeds i think both of us felt like this is a guy that that should have been a five-star player not really sure what more recruiting services needed to see. Um, I have seen a couple articles, one on stadium where uh, Jeff Goodman is among the people that says like, this is, you know, for a four star is extraordinarily explosive player. Um, so your thoughts on Kowasi Reeves, the signee out of Georgia, he was the runner up for uh, Mr. Basketball in the state of Georgia, which is a great prep basketball state. Uh, and, you know, I think gives the Gators a chance to have a real explosive bench score if Mike White continues his trend of never starting freshman until he asked it. Yeah, I mean, how he gets used is, is going to be the most interesting thing. I, I would have to, you know, if I really was had to bet on it, I would say, yeah, he starts the season coming off the bench. But, um, yeah, I think he's going to command minutes and whatever. If he's in the Canyon barrier role where he's still playing – 25 minutes a game, um, but coming off the bench, Hey, that's, that's great. Or Jalen Hudson and his fantastic year. That's great. Um, but man, I think he's going to put some pressure on those starters ahead of him because there's no one really on the roster like him. Um, I know that like maybe the, the closest comparison would be a Flanders Fleming in terms of similar ish size, um, maybe length more, you know, the length is more similar than the size maybe, um, you know, both guys who can kind of create and, and, and get to their own shot Flanders Fleming a little bit more with strength and bully ball and Quasi Reeves a little bit more with a handle and his long range shooting ability. But um, yeah, I, I really think he's going to pressure for, for minutes big time, no matter if it's starter um, or off the bench, but most importantly, I mean, at the end of a late game, I want the six foot seven guy who can really hit shots. So uh, I guess we'll see a little bit of, does that shot making translate in the way that we, think it should or or will and um let's see what he's at where he's at defensively but he's definitely got the tools and he's definitely got the uh the mentality so you, you know in terms of his ranking at first i was like oh, i don't really care about ranking you know rankings or whatever then i started to get in my feelings a little bit when i saw he wasn't getting the invitations to kind of the feature <laughs> games that because I, I mean i i really think he should have been in the mix for mcdonald's all-american and uh you know he wasn't really in that that conversation and there was some players that i think he's a lot better than that made it in. And so, so, you know, that matters. Um, you know, I just feel bad for him, like an experience that he missed out on, of course, going through his, you know, key high school years during a pandemic doesn't 
help the evaluation process like that. But, you know, I mentioned, and again, I, I don't mean anything to take away from this player, but, um, you know, like a Chance Westry, um, a player that, you know, the, the Gators still might get this this month. I really like Chance Westry. I really hope the Gators get him. I'm still watching his recruitment closely and hoping that the Gators get him later this month. Um, but he's pretty much consensus a higher rated player than than Kwesi Reeves. And and I think Kwesi Reeves is, is kind of clearly a better player, in, in my opinion, at least from what I saw. So just as a, as a reference point, you know, like there's similar wings with a similar style of play that I think Kwesi Reeves is, is better than that are, you know, five stars and rated higher than, than Kwesi Reeves. So I, I, again, it's like, you know, does it, it doesn't really matter where he get gets ranked, but at the same time, I just want people to be properly excited because yeah, people got really excited for Scotty Lewis because he was a high five star. They got excited for Andrew Nemhart because he was, um, he ended up being a five star. They got really excited for, Kerry Blackshear because he was kind of the consensus best player on the grad transfer market. I, I think that there should be a very healthy level of excitement for Quasi Reeves that unfortunately maybe he didn't quite get just because the recruiting services were a little bit lower on him than, than maybe should have been. Yeah. And I think COVID might've had a lot to do with it, Eric, just because the other thing about Quasi was he grew late. Um, so I think a lot of evaluations of him came not when he was a five, nine kid starting as a freshman in high school. Um, but he was, uh, but that he went from five, nine to this six, 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 seven, whatever you want to list him at. Um, it, but he's taller than Trey Mann, uh, for sure. Um, you know, kind of more in that Devin Robinson height range. And I think, you know, uh, there weren't probably a lot of in-person eyeballs on him, um, at the end because, you know, other than AAU tournaments, because he was, you know, he grew late. So you couldn't see how he had grown into that body that he has now. Uh, there just aren't a lot of deficiencies in his offensive game, Eric. Um, he can shoot. He can get to the basket. He's a guy that will provide secondary ball handling. I'm not saying that he is defensively like Moses Moody, but offensively checks a lot of those boxes in that you like the jump shot. Uh, you like the ability to score off the bounce. You like the ability to provide some handles. We know that Mike White asks players to defend, but I think, again, with his length, uh, you know, that's going to help him out in that department as well, I would think, Eric. Yeah, I mean, length is obviously something you you always look for. And, and again, I actually think there's a lot of players who there people are like, oh, they're six foot seven and long, so they're automatically good defenders. And I think there's a lot of guys that have reputations as really good defenders just because they fit the physical profile and they're not. So so again, we'll, we'll have to see with Kwesi Reeves, but it's like he's the guy who's been getting a, up a thousand shots a night or was for – he was, you know, he was the first first Gator in the in the gym this this offseason. As soon as players get to campus, he was there more than anyone else in the practice gym, putting up more shots than anyone, um, putting in more work than anyone. When he was when when he had to go home back to back to Georgia for for two weeks there in the offseason, um, he went to his trainer and said, "I want to work on defense for you know the time that he's back home." So we'll, we'll see, I guess. But you've you've got to think like smart kid for sure um, from the conversations I've had. Um, all the physical tools, and it seems like he's got the attitude. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, but uh, maybe maybe not elite defensive stopper just because few freshmen are, but uh, kind of hard for me to imagine that he would be just a really porous defender, and, and therefore it's like, hey, if you're if he's hitting shots like we think he can, um, that's why throughout the offseason we've said we think he could very easily be a starter. Yeah, I actually tweeted some video of him at uh, just the Iverson skills camp portion of the – 
the Iverson tournament that he played in. And one thing that I thought uh, stood out a lot to me was his footwork and just how good he is when he receives the ball and makes decisions, <laughs> excuse me, driving the basketball. Um, and then also kind of the way he can move around screens and things like that, Eric, I think he's a little ahead of his time offensively from an intelligence standpoint. Um, and also that's probably a testament to the time he spends in the gym. Um, which look, these stories about kids that get in and put up a thousand shots, like that's great, but you know, those kids are already rare, but when they're in there working on other things, like their footwork with the basketball, like that's an impressive, impressive thing. And that's kind of what Koesi is. I read an interview that he gave like a year and a half ago um, where they were talking about, you know, how he's, he and his father, Koesi senior are kind of self-motivated people. And um, Koesi said, they asked him what he dislikes the most. And Koesi said, lazy people. Uh, like if you're not, <laughs> like he said, like, if you're not really willing to work that I don't want to be around you. And it's like, that's, I have trouble thinking that type of mentality isn't going to earn him minutes with Mike White. Yeah. And I'm sure it's going to earn him respect from the older players right away as well. When they know he was the first person in the gym, in the off season, um, they know he's there later than everyone putting up shots. And it, it is kind of funny. I mean, you just see his, well, more so maybe his dad's Instagram or, um, Kowasi's junior's Instagram. And it's just like, yeah, it's these in now that he's at Florida every night, he's in the gym for hours upon hours. Uh, in the off season, he was in their small church gym hour upon hours upon hours. And it's like, yeah, I, I can't really imagine him having much to connect with someone who's not interested in just like putting in a lot of hours into whatever their craft is. So, uh, and yeah, his, his dad, very, uh, very important person in middle Georgia basketball puts on a ton of camps. Um, he's a really good Twitter follow hype South media. Um, just because if you want to, there's a lot of great players that come from there. If you want the heads up on some good middle Georgia players, um, that's the place to be. And, and again, you'll just see again from, from following his father, um, just like the sheer tonnage of work he does, the amount of camps he does, the amounts of games he's at, the amount of workouts he's at. Uh, yeah, you can see the apple did not uh, fall far from the tree when it comes to, to work ethic with, uh, with that family. Yeah. And Koisi really wanted to be a Gator. I mean, when he hit the growth spurt, uh, a lot of programs came calling um, and Florida was really one of the first programs that paid attention to him. And he appreciated that loyalty and remained loyal despite a lot of overtures uh, from other big time programs. So it's going to be exciting to see him uh, finally get to live out his dream, play for the Gators here uh, this fall. He will be joined um, on this Gators team uh, in the backcourt by another player that I don't well hold on let me make sure that I'm I'm getting everything right where I want it to be here Eric um because I I know that some people had wanted to address some of the other front court pieces but I just feel like I uh, yeah I mean we'll we'll go ahead and characterize our next discussion piece as a front court play as a backcourt player Eric uh though certainly he's probably going to play a little 1 through 4 in Flanders Fleming one of the other transfers that uh, Mike White brought in that we did not address in the last show uh, from perhaps the worst team in Division One last year. Uh, Flanders now goes to the program in the SEC with the longest uh, NCAA tournament appearance streak. 
Yeah, big change for for Flanders Fleming for sure. Um, yeah, the Flanders Fleming, the guy who might be breaking my algorithm of projecting stats from you know their league to the high majors. We will see in a couple of weeks. But you know, talking about just Neil, when you mentioned that he could be playing any position from one to four, um, something that's pretty interesting when you look at Charleston Southern's kind of uh, stats is like so if you look at um, which player played the most minutes for um, Charleston Southern at power forward? Um, it was Flanders Fleming. So when you look at their small forward position, say, okay, who played the most minutes at small forward for Charleston Southern? It was Flanders Fleming. So um, that's how many minutes he played. I think he was at 34. 30 <laughs> game. And uh, they were actually, you know, Charleston Southern, so not very good. They actually used their bench a lot more than most teams. I think they were like 70th or 80th in the country in, in bench minutes. So they rolled their bench a lot, but Flanders Fleming was kind of the, the 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 same piece throughout. So yeah, he was their most used small forward and their most used power forward, which I don't know if I've ever seen that before um, in any team I've looked at. So that just obviously speaks to his his motor, his versatility, and um, something I just kind of is pretty incredible to me is like so so he was ninth in the country in uh, um, in usage rate. Uh, that's something that I, I've got my piece on him coming up at Gator Country next week, I think. So I just saw this. So he was ninth in the country in usage rate offensively, shouldering everything. And then, of course, as we know, was an all-league defender and a defender of the year in that conference. So I, 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 it's just incredible to me that a guy can be so used so with so many various teammates around him of not particularly high quality and for him to still show such max effort on defense uh, to the point that you're one of the best defenders in your league. Uh, that's just incredible. I just don't think you, you see that much. Like, I, I mean, if you look at the other kind of highest usage players in the country offensively, uh, you don't see a lot of very good defenders on that list. So I think that he, you know, he comes to Florida, obviously he's not going to be the, uh, the ninth highest usage rate in the country. I don't know if he's going to be the 900th most used player in the country. Um, but he's still going to have that kind of tenacity. So I'm like, well, if he was, you know, that defender while playing 34 minutes and doing everything offensively, um, Matt, I wonder what kind of defender he's going to be when he's playing, you know, less than 34 minutes. I, I guess that's the first thing I think of. Yeah, that that's great stuff. If if you combine all the box plus minus, I don't know what Eric thinks of box plus minus. I don't think we've ever gotten into that, but like, if if you like that statistic, I like it. Um, he would be the second ranked player on Florida's team in returning box plus minus at four point five last year. It's pretty good, um, especially on a team that bad. Uh, he's an interesting. So, like, I think his defensive game is going to translate really, really well. Actually, um, I think he's a. I have less concerns about his ability to adjust defensively than I do Brandon McKissick. Um, it is. My questions with Flan Fleming are what does he bring offensively? He was a high volume three point shooter. I wonder how much of that had to do with being on a bad team. Half his shots were three point shots, uh, 49.7. I don't think we want half his shots to be three point shots this year, Eric. Um, he was a guy who would like to get out in transition sometimes because he would create his own steals. And I'm sure was coached to just go like, let's see if we can get buckets. Not a great transition player in terms of mix though. Like he would, he only was at 42.4% in transition. Um, big reason for that, he shot 21% on transition threes, but took a transition three on 40% of his transition possessions. Mm. So like, we don't want, those are uh, Hoopland's numbers that I'm, I'm bringing to the table for you. And yet his box minus was still four or five. Uh, I think 
he's a guy who really is going to give Mike White options in terms of how he defends. And I think um, I, I'll, I'll be bold and say that I think really for the first time in a couple years, if I had to say, hey, who's our best guy, go guard him. Like I think a lot of times it's probably going to be Flan Fleming, depending on whether or not Niles Lane can make jump shots. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. I mean, Fleming probably a little bit longer, um, like, you know, maybe stronger. I, I would say, yeah, just because he's so much older. But um, yeah, I, 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 the, the one thing I might disagree with, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, is maybe I disagree with you in the sense that when you said that we don't want half of his shots to be three-point attempts, just because the other part of his game is like, again, I kind of mentioned that he played a little bit like Big South Charles Barkley, where he had the ball in the wing and then he would turn his back and start to back a defender down and then crab dribble, crab dribble, crab dribble, and then finish over the top. And, and those are the shots that I'm just like, yeah, I just, I just know those aren't going to be there from Florida. And again, it's not that he's a great three point shooter, but yeah, a lot of them, like you said, I didn't know it was that many off in transition. That was a really interesting number, Neil, but I, I do wonder if looking at his offensive game, if we want it to be off cuts and off three pointers and maybe cause, cause when you look at, you know, what he's doing at Charleston Southern, maybe it's all that stuff that was off the dribble. Maybe that stuff we no longer want at Florida. So maybe that leaves catch and shoot three point attempts, which he wasn't great at, but again, it's just so hard to imagine, you know, when he's playing 34 minutes a game, all often with his, the ball in his hands, it's like, yeah, not really like, someone who's used to getting catch and shoot reps. So, so maybe, maybe he's able to shoot a little bit higher percentage on, on the catch and someone who can, you know, back cut and uses like the score on the inside. So, so I don't know, maybe, maybe just in the simplification of his game, we do want his three point number to be high, but we certainly don't want those off the dribble and transition attempts that you mentioned before. So his offensive fit, definitely, definitely the toughest kind of feel um but yeah defensively yeah his his length makes him versatile i also even wonder like you know i think that mike white really liked igor kulichov at the at the four and i mean flanders fleming same kind of guy like monster rebounder at at, at, uh charleston southern he had like eight rebounds a game kind of similar to what we saw you know kulichov numbers and i think we Mm. were like well there's no way he's going to be able to be a plus rebounder at the sec level he's six foot four with a six foot five wingspan and then he was a really good rebounder uh, in the SEC, at least on the defensive end. So I kind of see Finders Fleming, who's got like a seven foot wingspan and six foot five. It's like, well, if, you know, if Igor Kulichov's rebounding kind of translated, then maybe Finders Fleming's will as well. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's just something he's helping out with from the small forward position, but maybe Mike White likes him at the power forward spot as well. So that could add to the log jam as well with CJ Felder and Anthony Deruji, no question. I misspoke too. He would be he would be third on Florida in box plus minus behind Colin Castleton and Myron Jones on this roster. So, um, but still pretty high. And and I you know that's a great point that you make about the volume in terms of you know yeah I guess if you're not taking I didn't necessarily follow that through to the logical conclusion of okay if he's not taking half his shots as threes <laughs> what is he taking. Um, and I think you're right. I, I do also think that if Florida spaces the floor properly, big if um, he is a player who can bother people with his length and quickness, just because, you know, if he's decisive and decides to attack the basket, he's shown that he can get fouled. He got fouled at a pretty high rate at Charleston Southern. I'd love to see him do that. And, you know, it's just one of these things where, you know, maybe it's just a Neil Blackman basketball philosophy too, but I really would like to see Florida get to the free throw line a little bit more. 
Um, and he seems to be a player that I think could do that for the Gators this season. Oh yeah. I, that's something that I'm hoping makes you very happy, Neil, just cause like Tyree Appleby was someone who drew a lot of fouls last year. Um, and again, he didn't have the ball in his hands as, as much as he will this year. And just this kind of constant pressure with the dribble and, and Flanders Fleming was another guy that drew a lot of fouls and, and CJ Felder did as well. So we'll, we'll see, but I think this could be a team that, that draws a lot more fouls than, than the last couple of years. And for Flanders Fleming, that could be a way that he brings great value. I mean, that's the most efficient shot in basketball when you can get to the charity stripe. So um, anytime that can happen. And that's just not something we're really used to talking about on this podcast is like, wow, you know, Florida really got to the foul line. Good. This last game. I don't know if you've ever had that conversation. So that'd be great to, uh, to have it this time. And yeah, physical savvy veteran like Flanders Fleming, that could, uh, that could be a big part of that. Yeah, we did not. Uh, there was no Florida basketball hour in the elite eight year. So we did not get to talk about that team shooting a lot of free throws. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think there are pieces that could help the Gators do that this season, by the way, Flan Fleming an 81% free throw shooter. So when we talk about, um, you know, Mike White, any of the ex-coaches, if you're listening, you just want to text Mike and say, hey, man, maybe think about putting Flan out there during crunch time um, in, in your rotations because you know he's going to get a stop and also make his free throws. Uh, no, I'm sure Mike knows this, but uh, <laughs> it's a guy I'd love to see on the floor late in games. Another guy I think is going to be on the floor a lot of the time in late games Rounding out our discussion of transfers is C.J. Felder from Boston College. I will start out um, this discussion just by mentioning what Leonard Hamilton told me about C.J. Felder to share with our listeners. I had my annual off-season chat with Ham, um, kind of developing a little friendship there, which is cool. And, uh, you know, I was talking about, about Florida State's roster a little bit, talking about Florida's roster. I unapologetically is the host of Florida Basketball Hour. I'm as close to a fan of Florida State basketball as one can be while recognizing that they're the Seminoles. Um, and, you know, Ham uh, said, oh, I saw that you guys got uh, C.J. Felder down there. And I said, yeah, what do you think of him? And he goes, man, that guy's the most underrated player in the ACC. He goes, he's a real dog, a Keontae-type guy, a Justin Leon-type guy. It's going to be nasty, going to give them an edge. Eric. Your thoughts on the high praise from Ham? Well, I mean, something that I feel like people forget about Florida State, like, well, well, first of all, I mean, everyone thinks with Florida State, first they think defense. So, I mean, he knows defenders and uh, for him to, you know, obviously speak to his defense, that really means something. And also, you know, toughness, being a dog. Yeah, that's something that Florida State knows. So that's high praise. Something that I think was really underrated about Florida State is that they are really good offensively. They were number one in the ACC last year in offense. Um, I think they finished top four the last couple of years in, in offensive efficiency in, in the ACC. So as much as you probably think defense and toughness first with Florida State, they also score. So it's like, yes, they know defense and toughness there. So that really makes CJ the compliment to CJ Felder impressive, but also like they've really put up points on people. So if they notice if, if Leonard Hamilton notices a good defender on the floor, um, well, they were pouring it on against a lot of really good defensive teams. So uh, that just, that's about as high praise as you could receive. So for Florida, who hasn't actually been very good defensively the last couple of years, uh, who's trying to desperately get better. And I would say a lot of the messaging from players and coaches this offseason has been like, we're going to be good defensively. We want to be better defensively. Uh, it kind of makes sense that if CJ Felder is one of the, you know, best 
best defensive players on the roster, that uh, he's going to surprise a lot of people and play a lot more minutes than, than some expect. Maybe not on this podcast, who's been advocating for him to start, but uh, but some people will, uh, you know, could certainly be surprised. Yeah, and I mean, another guy who was far and away the best defender on a team that, that didn't defend a ton and didn't win a ton. Um, so I think CJ excited to get the opportunity to to play for a team that that traditionally wins quite a few games. I know not enough uh, for a lot of our listeners. Florida basketball hour last year really felt like Florida should have won more games. We get it, but you know the numbers are what they are. Uh, certainly a team that has been and a program that's been to the NCAA tournament several years in a row. Uh, a lot different than playing at Boston College. And I think one thing he'll contribute uh, in addition to de- defense is he really makes Florida's front court more versatile, Eric, uh, in that I think he can play some four. He can play some five. He's going to give Florida another rim protector, give Florida a guy who can rebound. Um, and it'll be interesting to see rotations uh, and how they work with C.J. Felder. It'll be really interesting to see if if kind of Mike White sees him more as a backup center or as a, you know, primary power forward or the combo front court piece. But I, I mean, I guess a little bit like some of the other players we're talking about, and it, it, it kind of pains me to say this because I think it's such like lazy analysis in the basketball world nowadays. But it's really going to matter if he hits threes or not, and that's really going to define a lot of his his kind of role because I think if he is able to be a average three point shooter then it's like, oh yeah, put him at the power forward spot and, and let him guard and, and, and let him rebound and, and let him switch out. And then he could be a floor spacer offensively. But I mean, I guess we'll still see exactly how Florida wants to play offensively. We'll see when the season starts. Uh, but we know that even though there were some really good stretches of, of two bigs on the floor, whether it be Kerry Blackshear and, and Omar Payne or Colin Castleton and Omar Payne, that, that White was kind of reluctant to play those lineups. So it, it might be a little difficult to suggest oh what happens with uh, cj felder is is anything going to change in, in terms of the perception of two big lineups i mean definitely if you were to put all you know carrie blackshire omar Payne, colin castleton and cj felder into a bucket and say who's the best perimeter defender who can switch out to guards best i mean it's cj felder by a large margin so maybe that changes things and uh if cj felder is able to, to hit threes that that could change things but it, if nothing else i mean really quality backup center minutes and uh, really quality backup power forward minutes, if nothing else. And, and maybe it ends up being some starter minutes. Um, offensively, you know, probably not what jumps out at, at me on film. Um, anything that he is offensively, a guy that I think is going to be more of a, let's get some putbacks type guy, uh, you know, but I say that and yet, he had the highest effective field goal percentage on Boston college last year. Uh, so that tells me that he kind of knew what he was offensively, at least to some extent, um, which I think is a good thing. Uh, a 33% three point shooter. Hello, Anthony DeRuji. Um, So, and then, uh, you know, Eric, I know I sent Eric a couple texts in the off season when the social media team, they're terrific. And we've said that many times, but, they definitely posted some vids of, of Felder launching NBA threes, and I, I got a little green in the face. Your thoughts on what you saw from him offensively watching BC games? I, I actually think he's more versatile offensively than 
than just kind of a, a dump off guy and offensive rebounding guy. I, I, again, a simple, straightforward game, but he had some really good games against two, three zones, which there's several two, three zone teams in, in the ACC, of course. And uh, a lot of it was because I thought he was someone who was like pretty good at catching pump faking and putting the ball on the floor for one or two dribbles, shielding it with his wide body and, and finishing strong. And I mean, that's something we talked about with Anthony Deruji. We would love him to catch the ball in the free throw line area and just take one or two dribbles and, and finish strong. And again, I'm not saying that CJ Felder is like Grant Williams or Admiral Schofield or guys who do that really well in the sec, but you know, watching those guys and that's kind of how they played. And it was such a simple game and, and, but it was just so effective. And I, I think that there was a little bit of that to, to CJ Felder's game. Like, again, like straight line driver, but that can be all you need if you're a front court player. So uh, I'm hoping to see that again. I'm not expecting a lot of shots. I'm not expecting a lot of points, but just like if he can take advantage of some of those matchups with just a, a strong straight line drive and using his physicality and getting inside and scoring, uh, that'd be great. And, 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 you know, looking at, some of his possessions last year and a lot of his jump shots, it's like, I don't think his form is as, as bad as his percentages suggest, but at the same time, it's like we have the sample size of him again, kind of like we talked about with some big men shooting on the last episode, he was shooting some wide open shots that the defense was happy to let him take. And his form looked good and they hit the side of the rim. And again, like, I, I don't know how much there is to read into this, but like, he's one of those shooters that has bad misses. Like, it's not like, Oh, that was halfway in and halfway out. And you're just like, Oh, it's like, those are going to start. Like he had, you know, wide open shots form looks great. And then it was just crooked the entire way hits the right side of the rim and bounces out of bounds. Like, so I'm just not totally sure what to think of him as a, as a shooter because yeah, the percentages are what they are. The misses were poor at times, but the form is not that bad. So, I mean, we'll see, but I think that, if you had to make a prediction going into the season, it's like, yeah, your, your expectations of him as a shooter, I, I, I don't think should be high. And then if it ends up being the case that he can shoot, then um, that's just gravy because he's, he's certainly not someone who needs to shoot to be effective. It's just like that would take him from really solid backup front court player, probably like arguably one of the best backup front court players in, in the SEC uh, to being a starting level guy. Yeah. I mean, he's going to shoot threes. Fam, um, he he shot seventy last year, so he's gonna he's gonna lock and load a couple times a game. Uh, one number I liked was that ninety seven percent on hooplins of his three point makes were assisted. So it's not like he's gonna just get the ball and you know, or or take the ball up the court and just decide like, hey man, they ain't guarding me. I'm gonna launch. Like he's gonna wait for his opportunities in the offense. Uh, it, that's encouraging. It's not a Makai. One guy he played with, Makai Ashton Langford, only 57% of his three-point makes last year were assisted makes. So um, he was just a guy that maybe that's why he didn't make it at Providence. Just kind of did his own thing on the floor. C.G. Fielder, not that dude. Um, so he's going to take some threes, might frustrate some people when when it looks crooked and doesn't go in. Uh, he's also not a great free throw shooter. I've, I've brought that up on every guy. I'm not trying to pick on CJ uh, career 59% at the line. So, you know, hopefully um, you take the good with the bad. Cause I do think somebody like him is going to get fouled quite a bit uh, if he's playing inside, but he's probably not going to make a ton of free throws. But what I, I really liked that effective field goal percentage number just told me that he kind of plays within himself on the offensive end. And I think that's what Florida needs from him. They don't, you know, not going to be like a go-to guy on any possession. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I do think he's kind of the, the consummate kind of role player with his physicality, with his desire to rebound. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the like bad shots he took was like, yeah, maybe some, some threes that he should have made one more extra pass. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, his teammates were not great. And sometimes they, they needed that from him. Um, I, I think too, like one thing that I find pretty interesting with him is like, so, so Boston College was pretty bad. We, we know this, but ever since he entered the transfer portal um, to, you know, multiple times tweeting about it in the offseason to interviews on uh, like with that, uh, with Chris Harry and, and pieces that the UAA was doing, his messaging about leaving Boston College has always just been everyone left. And that's what happened. You know, they're, they're co- they had a coaching change. A bunch of guys transferred out. Um, and that's, that's why he decided to leave. And that's always what he said. And again, some people I'm sure would love to read, Oh, I just, there's so much heritage to the Florida basketball program. I wanted to be a Gator so bad, but I don't know. It's to me, it's kind of cool that he's just like, Hey, I was willing to work incredibly hard at an institution that was not getting a lot of wins and I was ready to see it through there. And then everyone left. So that kind of, I don't know, that mindset's just like interesting in a very positive, positive way to me. Cause it's just so different than, than so many transfers. And uh, it, it certainly makes him, you know, even more likable. Yeah, no, I agree. And I thought it, th- those guys have all said um, some very positive things. I mean, Flan Fleming, he wanted to play for a team that, that could win games. He knew that this was it. And he, he wanted to go somewhere where he could win. Brandon McKissick and CJ Felder didn't have anything bad to say about their old stops. Both of them said, they just like that Mike White was honest with them too. Uh, that you know he was he wasn't promising the moon in terms of minutes. Uh, that he was straightforward and that they immediately felt like they could trust him, um, which tends to be what players say about playing for Mike, uh, whether they stay or they leave or or what happens. And I think it's part of the reason that it remains an appealing destination for transfers um, and has been. Uh, for quite some time. I mean, it's not always about the storied tradition of Florida basketball, although, you know, of course, you know, I'm sure that it plays a role, but uh, we're also getting to an era where, yeah, I mean, Florida was in the elite eight a bunch in the last decade, but the last, uh, they went to the final four once. So a lot of these kids remember Florida being uh, really elite, but they also know that it's been a couple of years. So uh, like you said, just kind of makes them, more likable on on those fronts as well. Uh, we have now discussed every one of the Florida uh, quartet of transfers, and we wrap up our roster preview with a couple guys. Um, and we're we're not going to do uh, any sort of last but least uh, type thing. But let's go ahead and and talk about Jason Jatoba, who who I think will not be last, uh, but the big fella. Slim down. Um, no indication that he's missed time due to COVID or illness. No off-season surgery. First season, he's coming too healthy, Eric. Yeah, I guess maybe this is the time we we see what he really is as a player. But uh, man, he's he's in tough. I mean, obviously with Colin Castleton there at center, um, I and I think again with with CJ Felder coming in, I think that makes the the fight for minutes at center like a dog fight like i i really think that cj felder is really good we just talked about him and it's again i really like jason jatobo don't don't get me wrong um he's someone i really want to succeed i just look at the the 
current situation with the roster. And I just know it's going to be um, tough for him, especially when he plays such a kind of different style of game than the other guys ahead of him. So we'll just see if like, like, first of all, I think for him to get on the floor, he's going to need to just dominate the glass. Um, that's going to be something that again, when Florida has been so bad defensively rebounding the ball the last couple of years, if he can be someone who controls that, he's going to bring massive value. Um, if he's someone who can finish everything around the rim and, and draw fouls, um, that'll be huge. That'll be an efficient way for him to, to put points on the board and get opponents in foul trouble. Um, and we did see in, in small sample size that, that he, guarded really well in, in pick and roll, even in that hard, hard hedging scheme that you wouldn't uh, think was the easiest for someone who's 300 pounds to play, but he did it really well. So, you know, he was actually moving pretty well for 300 and whatever pounds. So now that he's lighter, we'll see. And uh, we'll see how Florida guards pick and rolls, but it could be in a way that that benefits his style of play and, and size even more. So those are kind of some of the things I, I, I see for him, but man, I, I, I think it's going to be a little bit tough for him to get on the floor unless he, uh, you know, early is, is, is pretty dominant when he gets his shifts. Yeah. I think he's got to put stuff on film early in the year that makes it impossible not to play him. Um, whether that's for five to 10 minutes a game or 10 to 12, uh, he's gotta be a guy that says, Hey, when I'm in, I really contribute and am productive and it's gotta be on video, but he certainly has everything I think he's done everything he can to put himself in that position, like to say, Hey, if I'm going to be a power six player, uh, at least in, in the sec, which was a top three league last year. And I expect will be again. Um, you know, I've, I've done everything in my power to do that. I'm he's down to 290 first time he's under 300 since he's arrived. Um, you know, Mike White talks about his, his basketball IQ and that he's smart, probably why he's a good pick and roll defender. Um, you know, just understands what's happening on the floor. Guy that can point things out to his teammates defensively. Uh, guy that's going to space and help his teammates space properly, which sometimes you'll task your big men with pointing that stuff out because they have a uh, – we're not recording live on Twitter tonight, so no one can see the hand motions I'm making. <laughs> but they have a view of the floor where they can see the whole floor a little easier. Um and kind of, can kind of call out spacing corrections. Uh, it's something that we used to do with my teams at least, and I think is useful. Uh, so, you know, he's done these things. He's also got great hands, um, which when you look back at the history of big men under Mike White, that's a small list. That's usually been kind of the bugaboo of the Florida bigs is how well do they handle? No issues there. Jason Jatobo is going to receive the pass. Uh, he can pass out of it. Um, he's got good touch. So there's a lot there to like from a skill standpoint. Eric. Yeah. And the one thing that'll be interesting for him as well is the last couple of years. And I know it's been, I guess, maybe more his injury situation or weight or combination of the two that hurt him generally. But also I feel like when you look at some of the centers in the league, the, the kind of prototype sec center was like a little bit smaller and a little bit, you know, a lot more mobile. Like it was like the six foot nine, six foot 10, 230 pound ball handling skills, a little bit more athletic. But then you look at the league this year, it's like, you know, Efton Reed, a seven footer coming in for LSU and uh, Walker Kessler, like a seven foot one, mostly ground bound um, guy at Auburn. And, and Alabama has a guy, um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, Charles Bediaco coming in, you know, seven footer, a little bit of a smaller or uh, like not athletic guy. Um, 
so there are a few more of those matchups. Like even like, again, he's not that big, but Oscar Shibway, like a typical kind of bruising bigger center. There's a few more of those matchups this year than there was last year in terms of like traditional centers. And I think that those are maybe matchups that Jason Jatobo could be like, Hey, like, Oh, you know, Vanover's in for Arkansas. Like I, I I'm the best for that matchup and he can come in and try to prove that. And yeah, playing a Walker Kessler, like some of these more ground bound, really big centers. Like maybe those are matchups that Jason Jatobo is best suited for. But at the same time, I also want to say, and I know this is a tough, uh, this is the first name that came to mind and maybe this is, is tough to say, but I was thinking of like, who are the smaller centers in the league? Like, okay, John Fulkerson, Jason Jatobo has got to be a guy that when he goes up against a six foot eight or six foot nine center, that's 215 pounds that it's not, Oh, how can, how can Jason Jatobo stay on the floor against the six foot eight, 215 pound center? It's, Oh, how does that six foot eight, 215 pound center stay on the floor against Jason Jatobo? Like can Jason Jatobo pound the offensive glass? Can he catch everything inside and, and finish and draw fouls? Like, can, can he win those matchups against smaller defenders? Like that, that could be what defines him as well. Yeah, that's and that fact that was going to be uh, the next question that I had for you, Eric. Was you know, are you worried about just you know, we talk about his skill set, but they also have to discuss fit and whether it's fit in the league versus the type of center he'd face in the league or fit schematically. Are you still thinking that it could be a little bit of square peg, brown hole with Jason? Well, I mean, we'll see. Cause again, I would have said the hedging uh, ball screen defense, which is one that I didn't really think was a good fit for anyone, as we know on the podcast, uh, but he played pretty well within that scheme, but yeah. so we'll see exactly how they decide to guard pick and rolls. But Hey, if they decide to, to they end up dropping pick and rolls, then that should be something that, that fits him more. Um, I guess offensively, that'll be kind of the, the, the big thing. If they end up using their, their big men as, as passers out of the top. I mean, we haven't really gotten to see what his, his vision is like. Um, obviously that his, his basketball IQ has been something that's been spoken about. So I'm going to assume he's a pretty good passer, but that could be also something that really fits kind of beneficially to him where um, he's someone who can, you know, his passing can be his number one skill, not someone who has to post up or anything like that. It could be, Oh, he has the ball at the top of the key. He makes a pass and then he goes and drives straight into the rim and tries to seal a guy like, that could work for him as well. So it's a little tough to, to say fit regarding like when we don't know exactly how Florida is going to play, especially offensively. But I'll, but I'll say this. I mean, the last couple of years, it's been like guys on the perimeter who are going to give up penetration and Florida needs a shot blocker back there. Uh, that maybe won't be the case as much this year. I think that Florida has got more perimeter defenders that are going to keep guys in front of him. So that should limit the amount of times that, that Florida's in scramble mode. That could keep Jason Jatobo a little bit more in position, and that's some, something he could thrive. So we'll we'll see exactly when we see what Florida's kind of offense and, and game plan is, is like, but I can really see a world where actually uh, a, a just big, physical, hulking center could really work for the Gators. Yeah, I think, and you've already alluded to it, there were certainly some games last year, Jeremiah Tillman comes to mind, where somebody with – with a bigger physique and a little, a little more physicality to throw around. If Jason had been in shape and had shown that he could contribute, would have been pretty useful. Florida's going to play a team and, and we're going to do a big over under show um, where Eric's got over unders that, that I'm going to answer blind. And then I've got a few questions for Eric that he's going to answer blind and uh, the team we're going to bring up again that, that some of you that actually listen during the summer will, 
will know, and we apologize for repeating, but Florida has a big game with the Stony Brook Seawolves uh, in December. They got a dude named Jaden Sales who's 6'9", 270, and is kind of a ground-bound center that just bangs people. And, you know, yeah, like I kind of feel like Jason Jatobo might be pretty darn useful in a game like that uh, against a kid like that, you know, that's going to be able to kind of bully Colin Castleton a little bit. But we'll see. Um, we're all pulling for him, and we'll see if he can carve out a role. I mean, he, you know, the thing to keep in mind – as you all know, is is Mike White isn't in love with uh, using a ton of players, and especially as the season wears on, you know, Florida either by necessity or by choice has gone anywhere from a six-man rotation uh, sort of by necessity to eight, nine, fringe nine at the most, the Elite Eight season, uh, which was really eight. Uh, so if Jason Jatobo is a guy that's going to contribute, you're probably looking at a longer rotation than we anticipated, Eric. Yeah, that's a great point. So, you know, maybe he turns into like, not that this term gets thrown around in basketball or in basketball too often, but like a gadget player, maybe it is that matchup with like a van over against Arkansas or what it is. And, and obviously Jatobo hopes for more, but it just, it just speaks to, how, how tough it is to uh, it's going to be to get on the floor with, with this team. And we could even talk specifics to, Oh, he can get better at this, or he needs to be able to do this. But the fact of the matter to me, it's like, well, he's got to be better than CJ Felder. And uh, that's what it kind of comes down to so often is like, you can say, yeah, like, Oh, there needs to be improvements here. Oh, someone needs to do this. And sometimes those players do that and they're still not better than the guy ahead of them. So we'll, we'll see exactly how, how that goes. But uh, and, let that'll that'll be that'll be the thing to watch cj felder or jason Jatobo for those backup center minutes um the rowdies will be back in the ozone this year in full force uh that'll be beautiful to see i'm so excited to see student sections again eric already alluded to all the basketball around me i don't have the big map yet but i think just for eric i'm gonna get one yes um i know that davidson uh, I have Google mapped this many times and it's uh, less than half an hour from uh, where my townhouse is. So uh, that will be a gym where I experience the student section and uh, say my Hail Marys. I'm not Catholic, but if I were, <laughs> I would say say my Hail Marys to, to, to Steph Curry and, and uh, the aura of Steph there. Um, but I mentioned student sections because it's Jack Macy's and um on the podcast and uh, you know, Jack may uh, still a walk on, um, you know, wants to be a basketball coach uh, and is just a guy that does everything that they ask. Don't imagine that he will play much or that Alex Klasky in his third year of the program uh, will play much. But what I will say is that Alex Klasky can shoot it. Yeah, I mean, he is someone who had some some kind of low major offers um, coming out of high school. And uh, again, if you can just shoot the ball in, in modern basketball and, and mostly defend your position, um, you're going to be able to get on the floor. And that was something that I thought was uh, pretty interesting. He was on a podcast. I forget which podcast it was. So apologies for missing out on the plug. But there's a walk-on at another school who has a podcast for walk-on basketball players. So I listened to Alex Klasky's episode and um, – I mean, one thing too with, with Alice Klasky that I think is, is really interesting is like, he's, he's both like very aware of his position as a walk-on and also treats himself fully. Like he's, 
you know, a, a regular rotation division one player. Like he doesn't take himself too seriously, but at the same time he trains as if he was going to play, you know, 20 minutes in against Elon on, on opening night. So I think that that just shows so much maturity that he's like, knows his knows kind of where he is in the food chain, but also trained so hard, like as if he's going to be in a regular rotation player this year. And one of the things he said um, that he's like that, what he's working on most this off season is his lateral quickness. And he knows he's like, Hey, if I'm going to get on the floor, I need to be a capable, you know, perimeter defender. He's like, I can't be out there getting burned. I can't be out there getting cooked by other teams guards. So thought again, that showed a lot of maturity. He's not just in there launching threes because he knows he can do that. He was out there working more than anything on his lateral quickness. And uh, again, I mean, as for a player with low major offers out of high school, well, he's now getting to the point where, you know, it's third year of college basketball, fourth year of college basketball. Well, we know that this, that, that that's usually when some of these low major guys start getting, you know, poached by high majors anyways. So if he ends up getting some minutes this year, or maybe it's next year, it's not particularly surprising because yeah, again, that's, that's normally when you see good, good low major players getting poached by the high majors anyway. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if it's this year for him to get into a game and play a regular shift that isn't like, or, a, you know, a semi-regular shift. That's not just like Mike White being really mad at everyone. Okay. We're putting the walk on in at the next TV timeout. Um, maybe it's a little more than that, but uh, uh, I, w- we know he's working for, for whatever role that's going to be. Yeah, and you never know. Like, Klatsky is a guy that Mike White put him in last year in the Tennessee game when he was furious with the whole team. Um, you know, hopefully we don't see Jack May or Alex Klatsky in those situations this season because uh, that, that would be bad news. But, um, you know, I would like to see them with, with big leads. I'll say this about Jack May. Um, leading scorer on a state champion, uh, a team, St. Andrews, that I had the opportunity to, to see my guys – play against uh, a couple times in high school uh, and including upsetting uh, our program uh, in one game. And uh, it's one of my, my only, and hopefully my last experience with a court rushing. Um, So uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, Jack, Jack can ball, man, he can play. Uh, And, you know, I think it's six, four, like if, if Florida's not doing its job, like, you know who will know where to go on the court and know where they're supposed to be? Uh, Jack May. And I think on a team that's kind of a veteran team, just having walk-ons that are also there to hold everybody accountable uh, is a great thing. Can't chance to close things out on our player review with uh, last, but certainly not least, um, and certainly maybe longest, uh, Toon Kepkick, who uh, Florida brings in uh, – it's kind of the surprise take addition to the recruiting class, a Juco player. Um, certainly going to be a development year for him, Eric. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's someone who just played his first year of uh, junior college. So you think the kind of path for those players normally would be to play one more year and, and then hopefully go division one. But so for him to go to uh, to a school like Florida uh, right out of uh, after his first year, that would definitely suggest that this year would be redshirt potential or whatever development that that could be um but yeah played on a really good junior college team and 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 played significant minutes um he had one of the best junior college guards in the country who was going to oregon state on his roster um on or on, on the team with them then they also had this like just like so tune gat kick i mean i forget what he's listed at weight wise but uh yeah very tall and 
very thin. And then there was this other player that he played alongside that was like six foot six and like 290 pounds, just like the exact inverse. Um, but just, you know, physical front court player. I think he's going to Cleveland state. So, um, Played with a couple of Division One guys, so yeah, I mean, he played significant minutes and played a significant role on on a pretty good team. But yeah, I mean, rail thin, offensively, not much more than a lob catcher and uh, kind of offensive rebound guy. Uh, but just ridiculously long. I don't know if I heard a length measurement on him, but he just looks comically long just looking at him. So I think Florida's just looking at a guy who's like, well, he showed that as a freshman in junior college on a good team and a good conference, he can play regular minutes. And uh, he's ridiculously long and we like his attitude. So um, let's see what we can turn him into. And that's uh, kind of where we're at, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Another guy that uh, he is fast. Um, he was a, a very good cross country track athlete. Um, so, uh, you know, a good runner, um, I think. And, you know, Mike White keeps talking about um, – we're in believe it when we're, we're the state of Missouri on playing fast is in my DNA right now. We're the show me state on that, the show me state podcast, uh, <laughs> but, but dude can run. Um, so I guess if, if there's a long-term role for him, it's probably somebody who can get out rim run and transition. Um, and he's another guy that, that had a late growth spurt. You know, I was, so when they, when they signed him, uh, Eric's probably looking at whatever he can find from trinity valley on juco film i'm going back to high school and being like what was the deal he was like a 6-6 forward huh. out of amarillo so um sprung up three inches as soon as he uh got to junior college uh so not only does he need preston green season um pretty badly because he's definitely paper thin but um you know a guy that kind of just woke up and was 6-9 one day at 19 well, and, and seeing the uh, seeing his length, I mean, I wonder if he's, you know, done growing or if he's going to grow a little bit more. And that would certainly help his uh, his kind of outlook. Um, so, I, and I mean, again, the, the thing that's pretty interesting here is that it is an example of, or it's, it'll be an opportunity for Florida to show their um, ability to develop players um, for good, bad or whatever. Um, I know we haven't been super stoked on that ability so far, but um, here's another chance with kind of the youngest, most projecty player that, that Florida's had. Um, so we'll see. And the, the other thing I mentioned on a podcast um, a little while ago and just want to reiterate it, like something that I thought was really weird when I when he first committed to the Gators because he had no Division One offers and he played on a team with like one of the best junior college players in the country and another Division One player as well. So I was just like, man, why is he not getting offers? And I was able to kind of glean the information and, and find out that maybe his coaches weren't completely forthcoming with the information that he was going to qualify academically. And you do unfortunately see that sometimes in junior college where these junior college want, they want these players to return for a second year. So I unfortunately think that might've been the case for, for Gatkick where maybe his coach was limiting his recruiting a little bit by not making it known that he was going to be a division one and academic kind of qualifier. And I think when, when Florida found that out, they kind of had the inside scoop. So, um, I would say that's probably the answer to why he didn't have more offers um, at the same time too, even if everyone knew he uh, was going to qualify academically, I'm not entirely sure what his offer list would look like. Just kind of looking at similar players in that range. Most of them are in terms of production and kind of recent history, a lot more mid-major guys than high major guys. But again, a lot of times with junior colleges or junior college players, teams are, 
junior or D- division one teams are looking for a player who can step in kind of right away. And Florida is doing the opposite. They're not looking for someone who can step in right away. So uh, that kind of speaks a little bit to, I guess, his recruiting situation. Yeah. I think with one of the oldest teams in the country, it was something that they felt comfortable taking kind of a development guy to sit, sit at the end of the bench and work without Pinkins and work with Preston Green. And, and that's just kind of where they were with that roster spot. Um, you know, in candor, I think Eric and I both said we would have preferred in this age of the portal to keep the, keep the slot open uh, for the possibility of a midseason transfer. Um, you know, but Mike White has never done that. And he kept the streak alive at the last minute, just entering the season with a full roster, I guess, just uh, Mike, Mike feels more comfortable with the full roster and it's his program. So uh, a couple things to, to talk about real quickly before we wrap up the roster preview show, <coughs> excuse me, just timing wise, uh, Eric away for a few days next week. Uh, our friend Blake level will be on to preview the sec That'll be me and Blake. Halloween, Chance West recommitment, November 1st, Noah Clowney commitment. Still predicting Florida goes one for two uh, in that uh, in that commitment stretch. Um, but really, you know, we'll see. I know a lot of people have been buzzing me about the Chance West revisit to Auburn uh, next weekend. And, you know, we all know what could possibly happen in Auburn. I'm sure he could have a good time and eat a lot of barbecue at Bruce Pearl's house now. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I mean, coming home from that, committing the next day, uh, and then Noah Clowney, um, who sort of stuck with their offer to a kid from Dorman High there in Roebuck, South Carolina, where PJ Hall went to school. Um, we'll see. I think most thing most people are are liking Indiana. Uh, a lot in that recruitment, but we will see certainly Noah Clowney interacting a lot with Hoosiers fans uh, on various social media platforms and not paying a ton of attention to the other programs that uh, he listed in his final four, but Hey, who knows? Um, So that's kind of a brief recruiting update at the end of our show. Eric, any thoughts before we go? I know Florida had a scrimmage today with UNC. Eric and I don't know anything um, because you know, who knows? All we got was – we know what you guys know, that they played UNC in a game today. Yeah, I have nothing. I, I know I know nothing, um, unfortunately. So I will try to try to prod and, and find out. But uh, just so few people in that building, uh, that'll be, you know, that's tough information to get. But it's definitely cool they're playing UNC. I think they're going to be really good this year. Um, one more thing to add, November 1st, that'll also be the scrimmage, not the secret scrimmage, but the uh, – actual exhibition with uh, Embry Riddle, a very interesting division two team um, who uh, has a, a couple of high major or sorry, not high major division one level players. And they didn't play basketball last year, but the year prior, they were like one of the most ridiculous shooting teams I've ever seen in my life um, with like five guys that were 42 plus percent, three point shooters on, on heavy volume. So Embry Riddle is a very interesting division two team. Um, a lot of those guys are, are back. So uh, maybe we'll have to, you know, slip that into a podcast just any any quick notes on that that one's going to actually be on sec network plus going to really challenge this canadian's ability to to watch it but uh it is going to be televised so um that's great for um anyone who's just you know like the rest of us who's really really craving florida basketball with so many new pieces i definitely think uh november 1st which is a monday seven o'clock um 
against Embry Riddle, definitely a game to tune into. Yeah, no, um, 100%. Also, pretty interesting that, you know, if you're, if we get any information on the UNC closed or scrimmage, uh, we will naturally be passing it along to as many of you as we can. Uh, I will certainly. Um, say that I will say that Brendan March, who covers UNC uh, for the athletic, uh, just kind of shot him a quick email to see if he had any information. Uh, he just sent me back a smiley face emoji and a wink and said, Hubert Davis, first game. <laughs> so that's about all I got on that front. <laughs> that exploratory email did not go very far. Um, so yeah, everybody's kind of in the dark. Um, but if we get anything, we'll. We'll pass it along. Uh, so thank you all for listening. That concludes our roster preview show over unders, which is uh, was a, one of our most popular episodes ever last year. And certainly going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be the next show with both Eric and myself, Eric. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. And and like Neil mentioned, I I think we ended up tying last year, but it, you know, I'm like the front man in Squid Games here. I'm giving the illusion that it's fair. It's totally not because I make the question. <laughs> so I, I thought about it for for a while. Neil will be hearing the questions for the first time, though. You know, he's gonna know. You know, he's gonna know a few of the questions <laughs> from last year as well as there's just some things that are gonna be asked for sure. So um, I've definitely got home court advantage and in in, uh, in those, but it's just uh, it'll hopefully make for some really good conversations. I'm really looking forward to it. So um, that'll be next time you, uh, you hear from me. So that's uh, I, I'm really looking forward to that show with Blake and uh, yeah, that's all for today. So go Gators and keep attacking closeouts. <laughs>